In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about coming face-to-face with mortality and what that can unlock in terms of being able to be present and alive right now. But really quick, before we get into that, I want to make an announcement about submissions being open for our annual body issue. This is one of our most popular issues in which we explore stories about the physical side of being diagnosed with breast cancer. So these are stories of the aftermath of chemo, surgeries, medical menopause, etc. Stories of finding acceptance, of facing old body image issues that keep cropping up, and more. I'm looking for essays, poems, artwork, and photographs. Send your submissions to me at editor at wildfirecommunity.org by April 25th. And if you are listening to this episode long after our recording and release date, just know that we do the body issue every summer and we collect submissions in the month of April. All right, now for today's episode. So years ago, before my own cancer diagnosis and before my daughter was born, I had a little business providing emotional support to women in labor. I wasn't a midwife or a doctor, and I didn't deliver babies myself. Instead, I worked as a birth doula, providing emotional and physical support and pain relief. It opened up a lot of conversations with moms-to-be about their fears. These were fears around childbirth, fears around pain, fears of being a good parent or a bad parent. I loved all these conversations because they were real and they were honest, and they were the kinds of conversations I craved. I wanted more of them in my life. I wanted to talk about the lessons we were learning from being in pain, being open to pain. And that led to wanting to talk about money stories and sex and intimacy adventures and death, too. Because there is something really rich about living a life steeped in the realness of these types of conversations. And so today, I'm excited to have a guest on who feels the same way. My guest today is Kim Angel. Kim is a human resources consultant and patient advocate. She was initially diagnosed with breast cancer at 34. This was stage 2B hormone-positive lobular breast cancer. And then when Kim was 38, her cancer came back. Kim is now living with stage 4 metastatic triple-negative breast cancer. Kim began sharing her experience living with cancer through her blog, Smile Through the Fog, and using social media as a platform to advocate and connect with other young women living with breast cancer after feeling alone in a sea of older men and women in the treatment room. She found a passion in advocacy work and has contributed to various breast cancer campaigns over the years, including Rethink's NBC Time podcast and speaking at the Canadian Breast Cancer Symposium to bring an NBC patient perspective to healthcare professionals across Canada. 
Kim has also volunteered as a patient partner for BC Cancer and as an ambassador for the TNBC Foundation, Look Good, Feel Better, Healthline, and Cure Foundation. Kim joins me today from Vancouver Island, British Columbia, where most days she can be found hiking with her two dogs, planning her next travel adventure with her husband, or having an epic 80s kitchen dance party. Hey, Kim, welcome to The Burn. Hey, it's so good to be here. I'm so glad you're here. This is so fun. So let me tell everyone what you're going to read, and then I'll turn it over to you. Your piece is coming from our Legacy Stories issue. This was the fall 2022 NBC issue, and your piece is called Conversations About Death. And for those of you listening, stay tuned not only for my conversation with Kim after her story, but to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Kim, I'll let you take it away. Death is such a taboo subject, one that many people don't want to touch, don't want to talk about. It's often tucked away, hidden from view. Every one of us will be faced with it, yet we turn ourselves away from these conversations. We feel uncomfortable at the thought of discussing it. We have this belief that by talking about it, we're somehow forced to accept the reality of it, what has now become my reality. I know my life will be cut short and I'm reeling inside, yet I find myself within the depths of my loneliness as people close the curtains to what they don't want to see. I've been an outsider looking in, faced with the death of family and friends over the years, not knowing what to say or how to act as I visited them in hospice. We both knew that the end was near, yet I found it hard to address the elephant in the room. Guilt, shame, denial, I don't know. But looking back, I wish I opened up that conversation. Listen to their fears, their wishes, how they wanted to be remembered. Let them know it was okay to talk about it and not feel like they had to tiptoe around my own discomfort. As I navigated through the early stages of my own MBC diagnosis, I was faced with the fact that my own death was inescapable. Any one of us could get hit by a bus one day, people would often say. But nothing prepares you for knowing all too well what will eventually take your life. I was taken aback when my counselor asked me at one of our sessions, what are your thoughts on death? The defensive walls went up as I thought to myself, how could she be so insensitive? I want to focus on living and not on where I go when I die. I retreated from the conversation, denial perhaps, afraid to think about the reality of facing my own mortality. But as I continued to weave my way through my own experience living with NBC and face the constant waxing and waning of fear and uncertainty, I realized how comforting having those conversations were. It didn't have to be something I shied away from. There is peace and solitude in having those conversations, not just for myself, but for my loved ones around me, a weight of burden and stress lifted off of me. As another wave of progression hit and I confided my emotions to my best friend, she broached the subject. What is it you fear? The fear of my life being cut short, missing time with family and friends, not accomplishing the things I want to do in life, the gut-wrenching burden I feel leaving my husband widowed, my parents having to bury their daughter, wondering what it will feel like in my last moments if I'll be at peace with my life. It became less scary to me putting it out in the open. It gave me an outlet to dispel the fears to allow myself to tackle some of those emotions head on and to have some of those conversations while I still had the energy to. We even found our own dark humor in it, often jokingly saying how we would haunt each other when we were gone. 
one flicker of the lights or two. I began dropping little nuggets within conversations with my husband and quietly started putting things together. A list of my accounts and passwords, a book with all my favorite recipes, and some of the harder but important things like my end-of-life wishes. Not too much to overwhelm them, but enough that we could plan for my inevitable absence one day and not have my family feel the burden of these things when I'm gone. And as I began sharing my thoughts and planning process with others, I was amazed at how receptive they were. I found my husband asking more questions about how I cooked our favorite meal and my family wanting to make more memories with me knowing I'm on borrowed time. And I even shared my end of life planning process with other young men and women affected by cancer at a retreat. We had a conversation about something that could be seen as dark and morbid, but instead was met by openness, curiosity, and vulnerability, allowing themselves to talk about something so taboo so comfortably. Death doesn't have to be taboo, though. It doesn't have to be the elephant in the room. Talking about our fears and our wishes out loud helps not only us, but others to understand how to support us through it. Having that clarity helps them ease the grief process not leave us feeling even more vulnerable and underprepared. This makes it so much easier when the time comes to say goodbye because we're not leaving unspoken words and unfinished business behind. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful, Kim. Okay, so let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we will discuss. Hi, friends. There is now a wildfire book in the world. It is a big, beautiful compilation of my favorite essays from Wildfire Magazine, spanning all the way back to our first ever issue in 2016, up to the summer of 2022. This book took years to create and is literally the resource I wish I had had when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. This book is called Igniting the Fire Within, and it's made up of 50 essays that really dig into the experience of having breast cancer in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. Every stage of breast cancer is represented from DCIS to stage four, from all sorts of walks of life from all around the world. Our writers go deep and get vulnerable to heal their own experiences and to let others like you know that you're not alone you will find yourself within these pages. Get Igniting the Fire Within, stories of healing, hope, and humor inside today's young breast cancer community on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle now. Curl up with it today. Hi, I'm Anseline Corso, and I was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer at 33 in 2018. I found the wildfire workshop while looking for virtual support at the beginning of the pandemic. Soon after, I subscribed to the wildfire magazine. The 2021 wildfire body issue was published a week before I had surgery. So much of what I was reading online made me worry about the outcomes. Reading the stories in the body issue gave me the hope I needed. It made me realize I wasn't alone, that I would learn to accept my scars. It wouldn't come easy, but I would get there. I have the magazine sitting on a table that I walk past every day. Sharing our stories matters. Finding others like us matters. As a parent of young kids, your plate is already full with diapers, bedtime, preschool drop-offs, or getting food on the table. When you top it off with an unwelcome cancer diagnosis, that already full plate can simply overflow. Bright Spot Network is here to help. 
We are a community of parents and primary caregivers with cancer who are also raising young kids. We're doing that difficult work of parenting and caregiving all while navigating a cancer diagnosis and treatment. Brightspot Network offers free kids books on big emotions, cancer, grief, and loss. Free art boxes designed with kids of parents with cancer in mind. Financial grants for families impacted by cancer. Support groups for parents and partners, web resources, and more. Check us out at www.brightspotnetwork.org. Thank you so much for the support and the hard work to Brightspot Network. And thank you for those lovely words, Anne. All right. Welcome back to The Burn, Kim. Thank you again for that powerful story you read to us. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, I mean, thank you, right? <laughs> A big thanks to you. I, um, so I've got lots of questions for you, and I want to just dive right in. Um, but first, I just want to thank you for, for writing a story about this hard conversation that so many people are afraid to have and, and the transformation and kind of process you went through to become more comfortable with it. Can I ask you off the bat how it was to, to just revisit this and read it aloud now? It's, it's been like almost an empowering experience being able to see how much I've transformed around being, uh, seeing how comfortable I am now having those conversations compared to how it was at the beginning. It's been almost two years now since my diagnosis and to see how much has kind of transformed in that time. Um, you know, reading through that piece and kind of seeing how it's played out. Um, it's, it's definitely been an incredible experience. And I feel like I've changed a lot um, inside and grown a lot in that experience. Mm -hmm. I feel like, so you're, you're a very um, open person uh, on your social media, at least. I realize that that is a curated version of yourself oh. that you're willing to share. Um, but you always strike me as leading a life full of so much joy. And so I'm curious, you know, a lot of people might feel like talking about death or talking about the darker side of breast cancer would be it wouldn't lead to a joyful life, but mm -hmm. I feel in looking at you that it has unlocked even more happiness and joy for you. Mm -hmm. um, and I see you're, you're nodding. Can you just tell me a little bit more about how that influences how you live right now? I think one of the key parts in my life is having that balance. I think it's really important to have those hard conversations, but also still have those moments of joy. I think there's a place to have both and give time to both things. And I think it's really important to do so. Um, you know, if I was living in moments of joy all the time, I think that would be almost unrealistic in a way because there are going to be those times when things are going to get tough. So I think it's always important to have those conversations, um, you know, whether it's with my family or friends um, or being open about it on social media because we're all faced with those moments in our lives. And, and as the topic is with death as well, it's something that we do all face yet. 
nobody really wants to talk about it. And as I grew up, it was something that wasn't really talked about in my family as well. Yeah, same. So my dad passed away from cancer and he only lived about six months from his diagnosis. But I noticed in those six months that we were together how much he needed to talk about, you know, his his mortality and not I mean, part of it was the logistics, you know, like you were, you know, sharing in your story and, you know, the legacy aspects of passing you know, recipes and things on. He needed me to know how to care for, you know, his estate and all those things. But even more than that, he needed to just talk about what was happening to him and to feel the space in order to do that. And I noticed how much it relieved fear for both of us just to be able to talk about it openly. But I also noticed that other family members kind of wanted to lean more on the... um oh, you're not going to die. You're going to, they're going to figure this out. You're strong. Like, you know, those kinds of platitudes that I noticed maybe even made him feel more fearful because it was putting him in a little corner where he couldn't express himself. Yeah. Have you experienced that too? Oh, definitely. Um, You know, one of the things that you often hear in this community uh, going through a breast cancer diagnosis statements like, you know, you're so strong, you're going to get through this. And, and it is nice having that encouragement. You know, I, I understand it is coming from a place of love. But sometimes, you know, when you're trying to be realistic about your diagnosis, especially in the MBC space, and somebody responds with, you're going to get through this, you're going to beat cancer. It and kind of downplays what I'm going through and makes me almost feel more alone in a sense. I would rather somebody just listen and acknowledge what I'm going through rather than always wanting to fix things. And I think that's that's what it is. I think a lot of people naturally want to just be able to fix things and for something like this to just go away. But I think it's important that we address the reality of the situation because you don't want to leave unfinished business. You don't want to leave on unspoken terms. And those are some of the regrets that I have in life is not having those conversations with some of my family and friends who are in the same position years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. I mean, even just on the the very, very uh, literal aspects of, okay, what, you know, what, what do you want if XYZ happens and you're in the hospital? You know, like yeah. just like wanting people to be able to act on your behalf. And I found for myself, you know, for people that I've had to do that for, it's so much better if we've had the conversations. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have to guess or wonder, you know, what what they would have wanted. And I also feel, you know, we've been talking about how it eradicates fear a little bit, but I think it's not just the planning like we're talking about, but also just having a curiosity Mm -hmm. about, you know, mortality, death, just these hard conversations. I feel like curiosity is what what shines the light. And it's so hard for fear to exist Mm -hmm. in, in that, you know, in the light. It's in the dark where it really persists. 
Um, would you say that curiosity is an aspect for you that that you're kind of exploring, I guess, in this phase? Yeah, definitely. And one of the things I talked about in the uh, in the piece there was how my counselor had brought it brought it up somewhat mm-hmm. early in my um, diagnosis was saying, what are your thoughts around death? And that really caught me off guard at the time because I thought that's the last thing I want to think about right now. But as time went on, I realized how comforting and easing it was in a way to just to be able to kind of reflect on what it is that I did think about death. For some people, you know, they're, you know, it's, they've got spiritual or religious beliefs around it. So I think it's important to acknowledge what you what you kind of anticipate or what you what your thoughts are around it. And my best friend was really the one that kind of helped me have those conversations. Um, and we talk about it. And still to this day, we do still talk about it. And it just makes it a lot less scary for me. I can... I can see it in a lot, in in a lighter way, I guess now. I don't, Mm. I think death is always something that's seen as so dark and scary. You know, people just don't even want to, don't want to touch it, right? And Mm -mm. for us to be able to talk about it in kind of a more positive way um, around what our beliefs are and, you know, where we may go beyond death um that gave me some peace and comfort knowing that so it doesn't when it does come to that time one day it's just it's not as scary for me kind of go through that process Mm -hmm. exactly and i love that you're talking about it with people you know, people in your family, but you're also modeling this outward. You know, you talked about in your piece how you um, were at the retreat and you talked to others about it, because I think we need more modeling that it is okay Mm -hmm. to talk about stuff like this. It doesn't mean that you're um, giving up or, Mm -hmm. you know, all of the, the words that we like to kind of throw around as if having real conversations means you're you're tempting fate or something like that mm-hmm. and it's it's the opposite right it's more about um living the life that you want to live and and feeling fully seen and heard in it and it makes me think about you know when someone passes away from cancer that common phrase you know they lost their battle with cancer or whatever and I don't know about you, but I, I don't, I can think of few phrases I hate more <laughs> than, than that particular one. Like what, how does that, what do you feel about oh, that? Oh, I know. I think, phrase? I think there's so many of us in this community that say, if we hear that, if that's, if somebody says that at her funeral, we were going to come and haunt. Them. <laughs> it's, it, exactly. Yeah, I, I hate to hear that because, you know, we haven't lost in any way. It's that the medications have failed us. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and as if, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm like formulating this thought as I'm saying it, but you know, if we have more conversations about death and more conversations, like you said about, you know, whatever comes next, you know, depending on our own personal beliefs, then maybe it becomes less of a, I don't know, a loss and becomes more of just a next 
chapter, a next step, you know, in a, in a life lived. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've yeah. just found that being able to have those conversations with people now, I'm just a lot more open talking about it. And, you know, even going to that retreat recently and bringing it up to other cancer survivors, it was really an incredible moment to have people be so receptive to it. I'm a, I'm a planner by nature. So for me, a lot of it was also wanting to make sure I had all my kind of ducks in a row, you know, just in terms of, yes. kind of you know, the things that people don't often talk about the you know, what happens when I, my health declines? Do I want to have a, like, do not resuscitate orders? You know, things like that, that a lot of us should actually have, um, even, you know, outside of the MBC space, even just any, any person, just it's good to have those things in order because any one of us could be gone one day. Um, exactly. But uh but yeah, it was just such a, a an empowering experience being able to sit there with other people and talk about this and um, talk about how I was putting those plans in motion and how, uh, you know, and they were curious about it with me. They were asking me questions and, and it wasn't, you know, I was expecting people would kind of be tensing up and they didn't want to talk mm -hmm. about it, but instead they leaned into it and they wanted to know more. They wanted to know more about my process and how I talked about it with my husband and uh, my family, my friends. So I think that's just, it's really important to do something like that. And I think for everybody, it's obviously going to be a bit different as well, because, you know, we all approach subjects like that a bit differently. And not to say that, you know, you're diagnosed with NBC and you got to run out and start having conversations about death by any means. Um, but I think at some point, I think it is, uh, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of comfort in having those conversations at some point, even if it's just little snippets at a time, you know, just putting, exactly. kind of placing those little nuggets in a conversation and, you know, just understanding who it is that you're talking to and how everybody's going to be a bit, uh, they'll be a different, um, bit more receptive, I should say, than others. Um, but I think it's important right. to just, um, yeah, to be able to kind of start those conversations at some point. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, there's, I'm trying to think of what the quote is, but there's a quote about the, the burden of carrying, mm -hmm. you know, a story or, or a conversation kind of inside of you that you aren't letting out and how heavy that can be. And so I think for anyone, you know, particularly with, um, you know, a difficult diagnosis, but also, like you said, for anyone mm -hmm. just, you know, living on this planet, there are certain conversations that we want to be having that we maybe are afraid our loved ones won't be receptive to. And I think the pro the process that for me has really helped is writing it out. And yeah. I know, I mean, it, this will be no shock to anyone that I am a big fan of writing things out. But I think 
you know, writing out the thoughts and the feelings, at least to get it out of your body Mm -hmm. and down is helpful. But then also in formulating like, okay, how do I really feel about this? And what is it that I I'm dying to say, you know, to someone? Um, What is the role of writing in your um, in your life these days? Writing's always been an outlet for me. I sometimes have a hard time articulating how I'm feeling. Um, but since I was a kid, I've always found writing to be a, a good outlet for me. It's just a way, I almost feel like I'm able to address and kind of tease out some of the, some of my emotions and how I was feeling, you know, going through certain situations as I'm writing. And it kind of comes mm-hmm. to like a realization at some point. It's like, okay, that's, that's what I was feeling at that moment, you know, because you really have to kind of think about it. And uh, yeah, I just always found it a lot easier for me to kind of write it down on a piece of paper. And it's, yeah, it's something I want to definitely get into more. Um, I've yeah. kind of taken a step back from doing as much writing, but uh, I've been inspired more lately to get back into it. Oh, that's great to hear. And yeah, I just, you know, going back to something you said, um, it is really different when you write and pursue mm-hmm. a thought and keep kind of pushing into it and seeing what's on the other side of it versus, you know, talking it out. And And I'm not suggesting at all that we shouldn't be all talking to our therapist, but there is something slightly different about writing and what it enables you to tap into in terms of, oh, I didn't, like you said, I didn't know I was thinking about that or I didn't know I was wondering about that until suddenly there it is on the, on the page. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad to hear you're, you're still using writing and exploring writing. Yeah. Sometimes I'll even you know, if I'm going into an appointment, even with my counselor, I've got my notes on the side. <laughs> then I can still kind of keep on track, have my notes, know where I'm exactly. going with things. <laughs> oh, 100%. It's so funny. My So my daughter um, has a therapist. And I was telling her the other day that, you know, a lot of times before I see mine, I will jot down some things that are kind of top of mind or things that I want to talk about. And I was asking her, she's 14, but I was asking her, you know, if she ever does that. And she was a little taken aback because she was like, well, if I if I write it down, then is it not like authentic? Is it not organic that I'm like thinking about this thing? And I was like, and it's not like cheating at therapy. If you have to like write down a few notes to yourself, it, it helps. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think sometimes it can the one thing that's sometimes a bit challenging is, uh, and I've, I've expressed this to my friends and family so they know, and I've told them, I find myself able to, to express myself easier through writing. So if you see something, because sometimes they'll say, oh, I, I didn't realize you're going through this until I saw your post about such mm-hmm. and such. And mm-hmm. so I often have to tell them it's, you know, it's nothing to do with them. It's just sometimes it's easier for me to write it down on a piece of paper and I think again that's just you know even when it does come to these conversations some of these tougher conversations is also finding the means to do it because there are going to people be people who maybe communicate better through writing versus face-to-face so maybe it is something that 
um, that is easier to do writing back and forth to one uh, to one another or, you know, yes. doing it in a way that works for you. Right. And I think that's super important because yeah. it might be more difficult for people to have those face to face conversations. Well, exactly. And, you know, coming back to the topic of death, I think, you know, our loved ones can be really afraid to hear mm -hmm. us wanting to talk about that because especially, you know, our our partners, our family are having their own grief process, mm -hmm. you know, with our diagnosis and with with, you know, what life is throwing our way. And so writing it down and then giving them the opportunity to kind of digest our words in private, you know, away mm -hmm. from having to be kind of in that spotlight can be a real kindness, I think. Yeah. And then, you know, either they can write back or then be able to come to the conversation with with thoughts that don't feel so ambushy, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Kim, thank you so much for your story and for today's conversation. I would love to um, tell people where they can find you online and, and follow along. Where can they find you? So I'm on Instagram at kangel, A-N-G-E-L-L, -L, 82. And I'm also on Facebook. I've got my page, Smile Through the Fog. And then I've also got my blog, smilethroughthefog.com. Excellent. Well, we'll be sure to list um, list and link to all of your outlets. And um, I should say to everyone, we're recording this on Valentine's Day and Kim and I will get to see each other in person at the end of the week for the YSD Summit. So Kim, I'm so looking forward to seeing you. I can't wait. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. I'm April Stearns and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our rich 40 plus issues in the wildfire archives and to take a writing workshop with me. There's no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. Don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. If you like what you hear, tell your best friend, tell your mom, tell your oncologist, tell everyone you know or head into your podcast app and leave us a starred review to help others find their way to writing the stories that need to be told. All right, here is your writing prompt. You're gonna set your timer for eight minutes as always and write without stopping or editing. The prompt is, I want to be asked about. I want to be asked about. Write for eight minutes. Again, write without stopping. See what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.